This is WOR Radio, New York. Let's go. They're milking the weather report. That's the same one we've been using since Wednesday. Same old weather report to the beautiful. And now, here he is, ladies and gentlemen. Here's the man that all of you love. Here's the one that you've been waiting for all week. And now, here he is with his arms outstretched in love and honest admiration for everyone in his great wide world. Here he is, the man of the hour, Gene Shepard. Oh, shucks. <laughs> Gee whiz. <laughs> have to do something about that announcer. <laughs> Gee whiz, gang. <laughs> well, I'm glad to see all of you are here. I'm glad to see you're moving. I'm glad to see that few of you are breathing. <laughs> and we're down at the limelight in the heart of seething, passionate, Vibrant, truth-seeking, <laughs> sensitive, Greenwich Village. And if you listen carefully out there, wherever you might be, turn up the sound on your radio set. You will hear the sound of people at the very pinnacle. Yes, the Mecca of America. Greenwich Village, right by 7th Avenue, one of the great, beautiful thoroughfares of our country. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's nothing like the excitement of being in Bohemian Greenwich Village. Are there any bohunks here? <laughs> you know, speaking of that, uh, I've had many requests from time to time to sing on my radio program. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anyone who would like to hear me sing? <laughs> this reminds me of the 1964 Republican Convention. <laughs> I demand a hearing. I just want to be heard. You don't know what I might sing. I might sing a song with 30 lyrics. <laughs> then you'd be sorry, wouldn't you? I guess not. You've got that look. You certainly have that stainless steel look. Yes. Just a gigolo. Everywhere I go, people know the part I'm playing. Pay for every dance. Never any romance. Just the gigolo, I'm saying. <laughs> Do you realize my mother, when she heard that song on the radio, could not control herself. She had a desire all of her life to meet a gigolo. <laughs> That's a great word that has disappeared from our language. And I remember as a little kid, I'm standing in the kitchen, see? There's the, there's the sink. Can you remember when you were a kid when the sink was above you? 
Seriously, do you remember that? There was a time, you know, the sink's up here, you see. And hanging over the sink is this mother. <laughs> this big mother, see. She's a full five feet, two and a half. Of course, I was 18 and three quarters inches tall at the time. And there's this big mother, see, with, she always had this rump-sprung Chinese red chenille bathrobe that had all kinds of flowers. You know how chenille is sticking all over? And in the flowers, there were little pieces of solidified scrambled egg. <laughs> it was a true mother bathrobe. And next to this, it was kind of like a, it was kind of like a compost heap with sleeves, you know? <laughs> and she's standing there over the sink, you know, down there, and that sink is the coffee grounds and the potato peelings. And once in a while, the sink would make those sounds that sinks make in the deep Midwest. The sinks out there were alive. You know that kind of sound? And up would come one of Mrs. Bruner's fish heads. She was next door, see? And my mother would look across the driveway, and there is Mrs. Bruner at her sink. And so my mother says, oh, yeah? <laughs> and in goes a half a quart of spoiled rice pudding. <laughs> and it would come out of Mrs. Bruner's sink. Well, there I am. You know, I'm in the middle of this great melange watching the scene. Very few of us realize how much we are the product of those kitchens in which we festered. <laughs> You know, I wonder whether Freud ever knew about kitchens. How many of you never really got out of the kitchen to eat, except on state occasions? I mean, really state, and, and when you were eating in the dining room or in any other room, it was bad news. Because that's when Aunt Glenn was over. And you had to wear this scratchy suit. You had to be all dressed up. Well, my mother is standing next to the sink. And she's got this radio. This was the veritable cornucopia of all the dreams that she lived in. That great inverted bowl of the Midwest. And it was a guy who used to sing on the radio. He'd come out with this, Just a gigolo. Everywhere I go, people know the part I'm playing. And I'm a little kid, see. And my mother's crying. You know, you don't see your mother cry much. You say, Ma, just don't bother me. Just a gigolo everywhere I go. My mother had a secret desire to live a life of total sin. <laughs> she really did. And my old man had come home from work, you know, with a straw hat on. He walks in. He kind of looked like a straight Harold Lloyd. <laughs> He really did. You know, he'd say, hey, hi, you know, I'm home. You know that whole bit? How many of you lived in a house where the, where the father would come roaring into the kitchen and he'd, that one word, I'm home, gang. And immediately the kid brother dives under the daybed. Because <laughs> the father is the avenger. And my mother stands over the sink. And the old man says, what's the matter? Well, she's been listening to this gigolo jazz. You know, and all of a sudden she knows what's going to happen. My father is going to say, what's for supper? 
That was his next line. And she'd say, uh, meatloaf, red cabbage. And he'd say, oh, meatloaf and red cabbage, my favorite. Then he would go into the job. <laughs> he would be in there for one hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> and then, as soon as the meatloaf was done, he would emerge. Oh, boy, am I hungry. Wow, let's go. Sit down here. And everyone would sit around the table. And he's got the paper. And he's reading that the White Sox have dropped a triple header. <laughs> the White Sox could drop a double header in the morning and two exhibition games in the afternoon and not even get tired. And he's sitting there, you know, reading this thing. And as he reads, he is slowly beginning to fall asleep. And my mother, somehow, you could see that this sleep was in itself an insult. And five minutes after supper, he's sitting here like this. How many of you grew up with a father asleep in the living room? You know, it's eight o'clock, he's already conked out, he's got the papers all over. And my mother is sitting on the other side of the room at the couch. And finally it comes out, she says, let's go to a show. My father looks up and says, uh, show? She says, let's go to a show. <laughs> Tarzan is playing at the Orphe. <laughs> he said, Tarzan, Tarzan. Oh, I don't want to, yeah, gee whiz, wow. And then she would turn back to her rump-sprung bathrobe. And in the ambient air, you'd hear just a gigolo everywhere I go. I wonder how many people would love to be decadent sinners, but have never been asked. <laughs> I'm serious. I realize now when I look at my mother that she always secretly wanted to see herself on the fantail of an ocean-going yacht with feathers, you know, with a kind of look of drawn cosmopolitan decadence, and behind her a man with patent leather hair, is <laughs> saying, come with me to the salon, my dear. They are serving absinthe. And you know what they say about absinthe. <laughs> this is the real thing, my dear. And my mother can see herself sitting in the salon with three gypsy violins playing. And she is drinking a genuinely recognized aphrodisiac. Instead of that crummy Ovaltine we got around the house. My old man had an idea that Ovaltine made you healthy. He did. And every night when my mother and father would go to bed, he'd say, well, how about some good hot Ovaltine? <laughs> He'd go running into the kitchen, you know, and what she wanted was some good hot absinthe. <laughs> or something equally crummy. And so, as we now pause on the edge of another year, as far as I am concerned, the year begins on Labor Day. You have that feeling? It's a new year. 
It's all going to begin. And there are 8,000 kids who are saying to themselves, It's going to... It's going to be... <laughs> it's going to be different this semester. <laughs> A deep inside this little C minus student who was able to cheat last semester to come up to a full C knows full well that the next semester, if anything, is going to be worse than the last semester. I wonder how many kids out there, right now, tonight, are going to start in about three or four days their first year of high school. <laughs> and you know how it is being a big shot in grade school? You remember when you were in grade school, all that stuff with the, you know, with the crayons? <laughs> you remember that stuff? I mean, like, you know, I was, I was a great man. You know what I did as a, as a crayon artist? I worked in crayon. And I had, even at that time, I had a hang-up. I was a pumpkin man. <laughs> I would draw these great pumpkins. Why? I don't know. I just got hung up on pumpkins. I drew pumpkins all the way from second grade through the rest of grade school. It was security. And Miss Larson, we had, this, we had this art teacher. You remember when you had an art teacher? <laughs> and Miss Larson used to come twice a week. She was a tall, skinny lady who jingled. You know, there's nothing sadder than a teacher of art at the Warren G. Harding School. You know that she, at one point, had dreams. Could you imagine Miss Larson when her name was Flora Larson? He used to call her old high pockets. You know, and she was very hip. She was taking art in college, you know, with the long hair smoking cigars you know she was wanting to try pot and she was arguing with people about Matisse and she was arguing with people about clay all the new things in art and all of a sudden she is in third grade there was a terrible moment in her life when she discovered she had no talent Ooh. <laughs> And ever since that time, she's been walking up and down between rows of kids. She's now hold your crayon up like this. And can you imagine the terrible feeling of an art teacher walking through the, the second grade class of the Warren G. Harding School and seeing that at least three quarters of the kids could cut her going away? I mean, really buried her. And there's another kind of sad teacher. How about the teachers that teach drama in Chillicothe, Ohio? Every last student of the drama I know at one point dreamed that they were going to be Geraldine Page. Or they were going to be Richard Burton. Or they were going to be Tennessee Williams, heaven forbid. <laughs> Some of them got a good start in that direction, too. That's inside. <laughs> they tried everything to get talent. You know, a lot of people confuse nervousness with talent. They worked on high cheekbones. 
They worked on the whole bit, trying to get sunken eyes, but nothing came out of the crayon. Nothing came out of the typewriter. And so now they are standing in the audience, you know, in the, in the gyms. How many of you have ever had anything to do with the senior class plays? Woo! We had a lady who wore, you know, you know the, 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 the very artistic kind of lady who's leather colored? And every summer she spends it in some place on Cape Cod. You know, she comes back with great stories of her friends in the theater. And she has big earrings. Well, we had a lady like that at Hammond High School. And she would sit back in the auditorium. And the kids are up there doing the rehearsal for the seven keys to ball paint. There was always one kid, you know, who was the lead. And he was saying, I don't know which way we should look. Do I hear somewhere out there the sound of thunder? <laughs> and, and, and sitting in the audience there in those empty seats is Miss Bryfogle. And Miss Bryfogle, looking up at the stage, somehow sees her own life inept, confused, struggling. But what about the kids? Let me tell you, I was, when I was a kid in grade school, I was one of these sharp kids. You know, in grade school, you get so that the teachers love you individually. Miss Bailey taught science and health in seventh grade. Imagine Miss Bailey. Miss Bailey looked a little bit like uh, Wallace Beery. <laughs> she did. She looked like Wallace Beery, who was dressed for a big thing out on McDougal Street. <laughs> you know? And, and she was all kind of melted, you know. She looked like a bowl of jello three days afterwards, you know. And she sort of melted. Yeah, she was a great, big, wonderful lady. You know, Miss Bailey would come up there. She'd say, now, now, this is a leaf. And the leaf there, she says, now, you'll notice that there are veins in the leaf and that. And I'm sitting back there. <laughs> Miss Bailey loved me. You see, there are always six or seven kids in grade school who get by because they've worked out a cute look. <laughs> you know, I'm sitting there. <laughs> you know, and she just loved me. She said, that's all right, Gene. You, we know that you know that. And she would hit poor Al Josway. <laughs> Al Josway was the unlovable kid in the class, you know. And Josway was always, well, uh, 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 uh. She said, all right, sit down, sit down. And then I feel that warm glow of the kid who has escaped again. <laughs> well, I got B pluses and I got A's. I got the whole schlemuh. And now I am graduating from grade school. Did they have a graduation from grade school when you were a kid? You remember that little bit? You know, you got these little gowns. <laughs> you know, today they graduated from kindergarten. <laughs> yeah, they really do, seriously, you know. And they give us these little gowns, and we're all going to get our diploma, you know, from eighth grade. And up there is Miss Bailey, and there's Miss Shields, and there's Miss Norton. Miss Norton was the first lady I ever knew. She was a lady principal. And Miss Norton was one of those tight ladies with the, with the suit, you know, the, 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 the gray flannel suit. Her hair was always tight, real tight. You know that kind of lady? And when Miss Norton was standing, just standing still, you could hear her gurgle thrumming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, 
like a ship under full sail. He said, he said we always wondered what that was, you know. Until one night, Miss Norton came running up, up to the stage, and it gave out. You just heard that boy, thud, bang, like that. And she straightened up, you know, with that purple suit, and she walked like this. Well, that was Miss Norton. <laughs> and so here she is up there, and we're graduating from grade school. And they always picked about six or seven kids in grade school to do things, you know, give speeches. I was never a speech giver, because this is the way to get in trouble. I was an applauder. That kind of kid. See, I was a applauder. And a boy, you tell him, Robertson. <laughs> Robertson had made a complete ass of himself. <laughs> oh, yeah, you have no idea how lucky you are to be in the audience crowd, I'll tell you. See. Oh, yeah, have you ever sat in about the 38th row in a theater and this fantastic turkey is going on up there? And there's one of these leather-lunged, angry ladies, you know, like the Ethel Merman type, and she's up there, she's singing, I love you, I love And you keep saying, they can't blame this on me. <laughs> I'm clean. I'm clean. Well, that's the kind of kid I grew up. See, whenever they were asking for speakers, I would encourage Doppler, who sat next to me. And poor Doppler would always stick his hand up. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, okay. And the next thing you know, Doppler would be up there trying to explain the auditory system of the grasshopper. <laughs> I'm sitting there, you know. Boy, the world's full of klutzes. <laughs> yeah, so I got by, you see. I'm, I'm up through eighth grade, and I'm one of the honored graduates. Me and Helen Weathers, a couple other people. And the summer goes by like one vast song. You know how those summers as a kid go on? They go on and on. There's tennis. There's running around. There's bicycle. There's pinching chicks. It's right at that point, you know. You begin to do that, see? Under the porch, you know, little things that happen, you know. Oh, wow. I wonder if there are any kids under the porch right now. Those little kids out there with transistor radios. Where was you, kids? <laughs> oh, man. Let's give them a hand. <laughs> Good luck, kid. <laughs> well, you know, uh, speaking of urchins under the porch, what evil decadent radio station is this gang? Let's hear it. And where are we? And that is the... The big time. Oh, you poor slobs out there. You poor saps in Philadelphia. Don't you wish you lived here where it really happens, man? They don't have any movies like the inside of how life is lived passionately on Walnut Street. Oh, poor fools out there, yeah. <laughs> See how sinful we are. Look at those eyes slanting out there. 
it, it, it's superiority. Is there anybody from Trenton here tonight? Then we're safe. Shall we expose Trenton for what it is? <laughs> well, I'm a kid, see, and it's summer. Just like now. It's hot out there and the sun is hanging over that horizon. And we're spending our time in the swamps catching turtles. Little realizing this is our last moment as an untroubled kid. We're looking forward to going to the big school. We had this big high school. 3,000 kids in this school. Brick. And it stretched for a block and a half. And it was one of these big U-shaped schools, you know. It sort of grabbed you like a great stone mother. Or like King Kong, you know. Great big school there. It had a football field that had... It had grandstands. It had real iron goalposts. And we were getting out of the Warren G. Harding grade school, which was made out of balsa wood. <laughs> they had these buildings called portables. Have you ever gone to a portable school? <laughs> yeah, they're little wooden buildings, low little wooden buildings, all painted white. And somehow you kind of associated it with Miss Bailey and penny suppers and love and all that stuff. And now we're getting ready to go to Hammond High. And then the day came. It is Labor Day. Oh, by the way, how many of you had a father who was a Labor Day nut? Well, do you know that Labor Day in Chicago is a major holiday? In Chicago, all the hod carriers, all the guys that work in the plumbing unions, 87 million guys from the steel mills, all march. Big signs. And my old man loved parades. He would stand on the, st on, uh, believe me, he'd get on the curb at 5 o'clock in the morning to see the Labor Day parade. And they, uh, incidentally, in Chicago, they judge a parade by how long it goes. They're always trying to break the record. One went for a year and a half. <laughs> Just kept going, you know, thousands of guys marching. It was in a depression, had nothing else to do, you know. It was, no traffic or anything. And I remember one Labor Day when my old man was sucked into a parade just because of the wake. Sucked right in. And he marched all the way to Whiting, Indiana, 40 miles away with a bunch of plumbers. And he kept hollering, strike, strike. You know what he was striking for, you know. But, well, that, that was the whole thing. And you know that the minute that Labor Day came, Trouble could not be far behind. But I was excited. Because I was a sharp kid, you know. And school to me was a thing I loved. I really loved it. Up to this point. And now I am in Hammond High School. And standing out in front of the school, there must have been 20,000 kids that first morning. How many of you remember that first morning in high school? Just standing out in front of the school, waiting to come in. All of us. And I never saw such big kids in my life. I mean, there's great big lunch, and I got a great big H. They're standing around. They all look like my dad. You know, I'm looking around. Up to this point, I had been the big shot in Warren G. Harding School. At that time, I was a full five feet, four and a half inches tall. 
a full head taller than anybody else in the school. And now I'm in this crowd. Big. You know, that, that kind of Mickey Mantle look that certain high school kids have got with the crew cut, you know, the big round faces. And I'm standing in the middle of this crowd, waiting to go in. And I'm still excited. I've got my suit on. How many of you went through that bit? The first day of school means getting dressed up to impress the teacher or something, you know? And you could always tell the real klutz kids, they're all dressed up. You know, there's a whole bunch of kids all set. These kids are the same kids who are born to be Martys. They're the guys that wear the brown and white shoes at the beach. You know the kind I mean. Later on at the picnic, they always got a tie on, you know, and their belt is sort of hanging down around here. They're having fun, and their idea of really going all out is to roll their pants up a little bit. You know, you know they've got these blue socks with the clocks running up the side, you know. <laughs> There's a certain kind of guy, they even have stores where they sell them that stuff, you know. Suspenders, you know. <laughs> well, there I am all dressed up in my blue suit. And there I see off in the distance is Joshua. And not only Joshua, but Harold Dill. Harold Dill. Every school, every class. I wonder whether women know the meaning of the word bully. Every boy, every, every male in this crowd knows exactly what I mean. There is one guy that through your first three or four or five years in grade school spent most of his time cracking you in the mouth. <laughs> you know what I mean? He was always the guy who said, all right, knock it off. Come on. He's got the chip on his shoulder. He's got a pencil or something. You say, oh, come on, Harold. Oh, gee. Oh, gee, it was wild. He says, come back here. You know? Well, I didn't. <laughs> He's looking down at you. All right, smart guy. <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of other kids standing around looking. They're all looking, see, and each one of them have three teeth crooked. <laughs> from this same rotten you-know-what, you know. Harold Bill, he goes on to become the Mr. Leaders of the world. I wonder where the bullies are. The guys that knock guys around in fourth grade and fifth grade. Well, Harold Dill is now in the middle of this crowd. Up to this point, he'd been a terror. I mean, he was the one kid that the greatest thing that could happen was to him to say hi to you. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, uh, many guys still secretly have that thing. They would love to have Frank Costello. So you say, hey, Howie, Howie, the mafia recognizes him. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is a secret thing. Everybody's got this little hang-up. Poor Norman Mailer. He would like to be greeted on the street by Rocky Marciano. Say, Normie, you know, hit him on the shoulder. Well, that's the scene. And in the middle of the crowd was Harold Dill. It was the first time I realized that Harold Dill was skinny. <laughs> He's standing there like the rest of us, you know. There's Harold Dill. There's Alex Josue, who was our ace halfback. He's done like this. You know, and there I am, the ace student. And there are all these fantastic big ladies. I had no idea big ladies went to this school. 
there were actual ladies, you know, oh, wow, you know. And they're all standing around, you know, I just want to take my hand, you know. <laughs> you know. Oh, wow, you know, we're standing out in front of the school, and all of a sudden, you hear the bell ring, and there's always that whole crowd of kids who have been through it before. You know, the snotty kids, they all, you know, they start walking in. Oh, boy, what halls? It was like, it was like the Taj Mahal or something, you know? Fantastic lockers as far as you could see, and millions and millions of kids, like a fantastic river of kids. And I know one thing. They have sent me a note a week before that I am to report to room 220 at 8.15. They don't even number them, you know. It's just, I go up to this monitor. There's a smarty monitor sitting there at a desk. You know those monitors sitting there? Big science's monitor. I swear it's room 220. Hey, Charlie, here's another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's up two flights, by the stairs. Oh, where do you see? <laughs> where do you get a lot of Miss Snyder? <laughs> Miss Snyder. That was a familiar thing, you see. The word Miss always kind of meant a surrogate mother. <laughs> Miss Bailey. Yeah. Miss Spike. <laughs> Miss Shields, they were kind of like mothers. So I says, oh, gee, there's a Miss Snyder up there, you know. And I go rushing up the stairs with 18,000 other kids, and there's that big top floor. And I see room 220. And I go to the door, and I look in, and here is that... Well, she was kind of like a radiator ornament. <laughs> Miss Snyder was made out of chrome. <laughs> and she's carved hard like steel, see? And she's sitting in there, just waiting for the kids. And they're coming in one after the other, you know, handing the cards. And I come in, I says, Miss Snyder? She says, yes. You're Shepherd. I've been Jeannie Shepherd. I had never been called by my last name by a miss yet. She says, you're Shepherd. You sit back, and we number them alphabetically. You'll sit back there by Schwartz. And I see this little head looking over the top of the desk. It's my buddy Schwartz. And I can hear him crying. <laughs> <laughs> so I walk back and there's Schwartz. Schwartz says, I should. <laughs> I sit in my desk. And you know, these home rooms are filled with seniors, you know. It's not freshmen. They're seniors and juniors. There's these big ladies and all these guys. <laughs> Oh, walking around, you know, this is school. I never thought this was school was like this, you know. I'm sitting back there, and up on a blackboard, Miss Snyder had written a whole series of little tiny numbers that looked like they were written in Greek. You know, she wrote in that college blackboard writing. Miss, up to that point, Miss Bailey had always written, written like this, you know, room like that, you know, big M. 402, Miss Snyder would go tick 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 You know, and you can hear the you can hear the chalk that angry little eek of that chalk and she played chalk, believe me, the way some people play great organs. She's writing this stuff down. And we sit there. And she says, I want to welcome you, those of you who have never been here before. 
She was one of these dry ladies. She was like a human martini. You know, these were two little olives, see? Little tiny angry ones. And she says, uh, I want to welcome all of you here, those of you who have not been here before. I want to say one thing. You're here to work. There'll be no playing around. And here this, this crowd of, of seniors are sitting in there and they're hitting each other. Hey, hey, oh, yeah, yeah. They're the big football players. They got big H's and things all over them and little chevrons and stuff. That obviously did not apply to them. She says, you're here to work? And I think you'll like our school. And I think those of you who do not like this school will find that there are many other things in life that you will not like. I never really... What is this threat? You know, already I hate this place, you know? You know, already it's, it's a rotten place and the blackboards and the sun is coming in. And she says, all right, in just five minutes, your first class will begin. You will see it marked on your elective card. Be sure to be there early. Any questions? I had one question. Where's my mother? <laughs> Can my mother go with me? You know, you know I, didn't, I just sat there looking scared. And suddenly the bell rang and I am on my way to room 106. This is my first class in high school. How many of you actually remember it? The first class you ever had in high school. Actual class. I will never forget mine. I go down to room 106, and it is a class in algebra, which I didn't even know what it was. I didn't know what algebra was. It was just on my card. You know, it said algebra one. And I go into this class, and there is a man it was the first time I had ever had a male teacher. And this guy looked vaguely like a Humphrey Bogart without any sense of humor. And he is sitting there. He's got little gray flecks in the hair. He's got this square jaw. He's just sitting there. He's got kind of creases under here, like a Buddha. And all the kids come in, sit down, look. My first moment in high school. He gets up from behind his desk. Have you ever always had that secret sense of awe ever since being in school of desks? You know, what's in those drawers? What do teachers have in there? I suspect that Mr. Pittenger had some four roses. <laughs> you know, now when I think back, but Mr. Pittenger stood up and he said, Well, my name is Pittenger. Mr. Pittenger, I will call you by your name, and I expect to be called by mine, Mr. Pittenger. <laughs> this did not talk like Miss Bailey. <laughs> And already I've got that sick feeling. It's like Kafka. I suspect that Kafka must have written most of his stuff while he was in ninth grade. <laughs> <laughs>
You'll have to explain to her who Kafka is. He's the man that started the Dairy Queens, honey. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm so scared, you know, and Mr. Pittenger says, all right, the subject I teach is algebra. Algebra is a mathematical form of calculation to discover unknown quantities when given quantities are known. <laughs> What's a quantity? Just <laughs> now, I will show you what we call a simple equation. X. X. X plus Y equals C. Any questions? Little did I realize that already I was seven millennia behind the rest of the class. Already, you know, it's funny, all through high school, I had that vague feeling that all the other kids in the class had it before. You know that terrible feeling? I was in a Latin class. I arrived in that class, Latin one. I sat down, and 30 seconds later, everybody's telling dirty jokes in Latin. <laughs> I didn't even know them in English, you know? He says, X plus Y equals C. Now, if we know that X is 1 and Y is 2, it should follow then that we would know the quantity of C. You. What is C? Guess who? <laughs> I had a harpoon sticking out of my thorax. That guy nailed the phony in the class the first instant. If you think Holden Caulfield was a great phony spotter, you should have seen Mr. Pittenger. He had x-ray eyes, you know. He says, you, what's your name? Huh? I figured I was going to say Alec Josway. Uh, 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 Gene Shepard. Your name is Shepard. Somehow, first names softened all the blows in these classes. And he was not a first name man. He says, oh, Shepard. All right. Shepard, Shepard. That's the way he learned the kids. He would say, uh, gut stop. Gut stop. It's like gut stop is admitting to some horrible crime by being gut stop. You know? Say, Shepherd. Shepherd. All right. X plus Y equals C. X is equal to one. Y is equal to two. What does C equal, Shepherd? Dead silence. <laughs> And he is looking, and already he knows where I'm going in life. 
This guy had my whole existence plotted out that one day I would arrive at the limelight. <laughs> working on a second-rate radio station. Before a collection of hamburger-eating freebies who can't afford to go see Mort Saul. All right, Shepard. X plus Y equals C. Do you know I haven't figured that out yet? <laughs> what does it equal? Well, you know, it was a nightmare. Immediately, there are seven girls with their hands going. You know the chicks that always got the hands going like this? Always there's a whole bunch of chicks. I see that crowd waving. And there's a couple of real skinny kids with glasses. They've already closed their book, you know. They're through with the class. They know, you know. They're on quadratics already. And I sat there mystified. And from that minute in the class, I did not understand one word that Mr. Pittenger spoke. He says, all right, now, we have solved that equation. <laughs> now, let's take an equation in which we have multiple unknowns. X plus Y plus D plus R equals 7. Now, if we know that X is twice the value of Y... And Mr. Pittenger kept getting taller. <laughs> and that class went on for seven and a half years. It just ground on and on and on, and I'm scared. And I can hear behind me, I can hear Schwartz whimpering. <laughs> I knew that there was another guy in that leaky canoe with me, you know. <laughs> Thank God, you know. And finally the bell goes, ah, Mr. Pitcher says, wait a minute. Get out your textbooks. Turn to page 7. Do 1, 3, 9, 14, 26, 38, 42, 106. And do all the rest of them on the other page after it. Holy smokes. This guy's given us 17 years of homework. And I don't understand any of it. I get out in the hall and all these kids are walking around, real happy kids, you know, with H's and stuff. They're all hitting each other. I got my book. Oh, oh. I am heading, I am heading to English. Well, I figured English was reading stuff like the rat said to the cat. I was very good in that. You got to know that I was great in that story about the thin big dog. I always have wondered how a thin big dog looks, you know. In fact, I used to date one. <laughs> Later on. <laughs> that is a lot of them. <laughs> and you know, I thought, English. Well, Mr. Pittenger, I left Mr. Pittenger in my wake. I arrive in the English class, and there sitting behind the desk is a short fat, round lady who looked like Mr. Moto. <laughs> you ever see Mr. Moto played by Peter Lorre? <laughs> well, there was Mr. Moto sitting there. It was the first lady I ever saw with a mustache. And she had sideburns. And she sat there, and when she got up, she was the first lady I ever saw that wore work shoes. 
You know, I had an aunt who wore what they called health shoes. <laughs> you ever wondered about girls who at the age of nine are wearing those high, th those health shoes? <laughs> and they've got their hair all braided already and they're wearing big glasses. Little did we realize they were headed for Vogue. <laughs> they're very hip now, very in, you know. Well, here she is with these work shoes and her name is Miss H. McCullough. And Miss McCullough waited until we were in the class. Everybody's seated there. And she said, Children, my name is Miss McCullough. I believe in grandma. How did she know my grandma? <laughs> in Warren G. Harding's school, we had never had a thing called grammar. We had penny suppers. You know, we had things where we would have Easter parties. We spent all of the school, you know, drawing pumpkins. I had drawn pumpkins now for eight years. And I had done all the stuff required to get to this place, and now they're springing this stuff on me. She says, I believe in grammar, and I assume that all of you know the eight parts of speech. eight parts of speech. You know, all I knew is you say, Hey, Al! It's my idea of speech, you know. Ain't there some class? Wow! She says, Of course, all of you know the eight parts of speech. Now, I'm going to put a sample sentence on the board. <laughs> the construction of a sentence is of primary importance. I knew one word, is. I knew that I was in my home country. And then she said, now, will any of you tell me if there is a gerund in that sentence? Well, all right, smart guys. Do any of you know what a gerund is now, even? Gerund. We had this little guy named Gerald O'Malley, you know. I can think of Gerald, you know, Gerald, Gerald. Immediately, she says, and I, you know, I, I didn't even see the bow. This chick got me with a poison dart, you know, thing. What's your name, little boy? She was that kind of English teacher. Little boy. So what's your name, little boy? Gene <laughs> Shepherd. Gene. This lady used first names like bad words. <laughs> My name, J-E-A-N, was another four-letter word. She says, Gene. Is there a gerund in that sentence? Well, now I was a veteran, see? I'd been through one scene like this already. And I said, uh, no! She's... You're wrong. Obviously, her mind is going, watch this one. You're wrong, but you got very good footwork. And so... 
That began my high school career. Every morning it would start out with Kafka and Mr. Pittenger. And the next class would be Miss McCullough and a duel. <laughs> Me and Miss McCullough went for a whole year like this, you know? You know? And she kind of enjoyed it. Once in a while she'd pink me, you know? And the blood would squirt out of my ears. <laughs> she'd chuckle a little bit. And then the next class was Miss Crystal Reader, who taught a sinister course named Biology. Well, uh, you know, in our school, there were just girls and boys. There wasn't anything what they call the reproductive process. And I am not in Miss Crystal Reader's class 30 seconds when she's got a worm drawn on the board. And she says, now, will one of you please point out to me the ovaries? <laughs> I ask you, guess who? <laughs> I thought it had something to do with drawing ovals. <laughs> You know, I was good on making ovals, and I looked for the ovals up there. I said, oh, they're up there. She says, that's close. Well, that was the way I started out with Miss Crystal Reader. It was the class of embarrassment. I sat next to Pearl Aruz, a little girl named Pearl Aruz, who apparently knew all this stuff. And every time they mentioned things, whenever she giggled, I got red. <laughs> well, all right, gang. Right out there at this minute, there are 18 million kids who are about to begin this. Let's give them one cheer of encouragement. <laughs> all right, let's, let's give them that old World War II yell, you'll be sorry. You'll be sorry, and we'll... This is WOR Radio, your station for news. Hi, this is Frankie Michaels from Palisades Amusement Park. 